Hello and welcome to the Raptor Show on Sportsnet. I'm your host, Wayne Blue. Uh, joining me on the program this week is Eric Kareen of The Athletic. Uh, Eric, you just wrote an excellent piece on the international man of mystery that is Darko Ryakovic um, over at The Athletic. It is a really wonderful profile um, that really gets into his backstory. And so first off, Eric, I want to congratulate you on that story. And then second, I want to start with Darko and his connections uh with sam presti it seems like he's got quite a quite a nice long connection with sam so uh can you start uh your story just based on that yeah well first of all thank you i appreciate that uh you know these pieces i i think they're the ones i like writing the most they're the mm-hmm. ones people like reading the most and they're the ones that uh, my company wants me to write the most so uh uh the good reason it's obviously for obvious reasons can't write them all the time, but uh, when I get a chance to, it's nice. Uh, yeah, so you hear all these stories about, and maybe this is going back further to the sort of Russell Westbrook era, about uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder being, you know, not necessarily the most media-friendly team. Mm. Um, and I have to say that, like, they were super helpful with me. Uh, I get why that reputation exists, but, yeah, but whatever. Uh, the point I'm trying to make is... Sam Presti really wanted to talk about Darko Ryakovic, um, which, you know, I, I've had a few people comment to me, you know, I, I wish Sam talked more because, like, he's a great storyteller. And he was. Mm-hmm. Like, he he gave me, I talked to him before I talked to Darko. I talked to Darko at Summer League, and I felt, like, so much more armed going into that interview with, with these, like, specific stories um, that... Sam Presti gave me. Uh, so to answer your question, uh, they met at uh, in Treviso, Italy, uh, and for longtime Raptors fans, the the name or, or the 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 dateline tra- or placeline Treviso is going to conjure up thoughts of uh, Maurizio Gherardini, of course, uh, mm-hmm. ex Raptors ass- assistant general manager. Uh, he was running Eurocamp uh, at the time, which was a basketball without borders uh sort of program and sam presti was he was an assistant gm with the spurs and they were looking for somebody to sort of write reports for them be kind of an international scout but not that formal uh kind of keep them abreast of players in europe specifically in the balkans where uh, Darko was still coaching junior basketball at uh, Belgrade Red Star. Uh, and so Presti let uh, Maurizio Gardini let him know he was looking for that sort of guy. And uh, Maurizio said, well, here's this young, enthusiastic coach who, uh, you know, is to use 2023 terms as radiating positive vibes and, mm. and enthusiasm and all that stuff. Uh, so they got connected. They're at the at the time they're both mid to late twenties, both you know worldly young basketball minds. Uh, so they hit it off. Like they hit it off not only in in Darko writing these reports for the Spurs, which I'm sure were useful, but they hit it off driving around that part of the world and, and mm. taking some trips to 
you know, if Darko was coaching, uh, maybe they would squeeze in an extra game somewhere along the way to see some more NBA ready prospects. And, and I think through those trips, it sounds like they really got to know each other and, and bond uh, over their mutual love for basketball, their mutual, you know, sort of status, uh, not, not status, obviously assistant general manager of the San Antonio Spurs when you're 26 or 27 is a pretty big deal. Um, but you know, place in, in life, their, their ambitions and their love for, um, wanting to think outside the box and, and, and grow their resumes and, and the sport in, in different ways. And, and they really found sort of kindred spirits in that way to the point where i mean we all sort of know what happened with sam presti he goes to seattle seattle becomes oklahoma city oklahoma city eventually needs a g league coach a d league coach i should say in tulsa and uh he thinks sam presti thinks oh how about darko do you want to at that point darko was a i think a third division coach in spain and he was like you want to come to from Madrid to Tulsa? And, and Darko <laughs> said, in uh, one of my favorite moments, I think Sam asked me about 12 times during the interview if I wanted to make that move. And then he had, only good, he had only good things to say and, uh, about Oklahoma City and Tulsa, the state of Oklahoma. And, and he, you know, fell in love with the area, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, that was sort of their the arc of their relationship. And uh Darko went on to coach under Scotty Brooks uh, in Oklahoma City and then Billy Donovan in Oklahoma City before he uh, he continued his journey elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, first off, yeah, there, there's definitely um, it, it's very obvious that those two guys were very close. And, um, you know, that I mean, you, you even told some really great parables in, in, in your piece. And I don't want to spoil the whole piece. I mean, everyone should go read it over the athletic. Um, but, you know, you, you told this story where. Darko was sort of wanting to treat Sam to a nice meal and, and, and essentially he like emptied his whole bank account to, to treat Sam to this whole meal. And, and yeah, I think it's obviously something that's really paid off, right? Like, you know, it's, it's a relationship that has really, uh, you know, brought great things to him. Um, you know, I, I, I'm thinking about, so Darko and his, his, his start in coaching, like, yes, he, he realized that he, and he's, he's told the story a couple of times where, you know, he, he, realized as a young player that he wasn't going to make it as a player and so he started in coaching super early like that's why for a man who's in his mid-40s like he's already got like 30 years of coaching experience roughly under his belt um he started as a teenager the um the the, the fact that he was able to transition over to the states in tulsa and then also get onto nba coaching staffs like besides the connection with, with, with Sam, like, what do you get a sense of in terms of like, what, what made him successful in that jump? Cause I feel like that's an unorthodox one, especially for players who haven't played at any sort of significant level. I think you sort of detailed that in your piece that you have guys in, in the league who are coaching, who weren't like NBA players or former NBA players, or even former college stars. Um, you know, you pointed out Nick nurse, for example. Um, but for Darko, like that's such a small amount of basketball experience playing wise but it seems like that hasn't hindered him in terms of gaining that sort of reputation and success and, and uh, ability to connect with NBA players. Yeah. I mean, the first thing which you, we already touched on is being empowered by the organization. You know, mm. if, if the boss says this guy knows what he's talking about and you've got a bunch of, you know, young players looking to make it, then mm. you, you sort of have no choice but to believe in those, that guy. So obviously being empowered to do your job is the most important thing in order to be able to do your job. 
but the the thing that kept on coming up um and it's also something we've heard about a lot and the coverage of him is this guy started from a player development uh standpoint like he i can't remember the name of the serbian coach now uh but uh he really got into one-on-one coaching shortly after he got into team coaching and and one of the you know personal coaches of a one of the first serbian players and his, his last name was Kurchic. I can't even, he played 20 games, so I can't even remember the yeah, yeah, 1990 okay. or something. But his personal coach is like, okay, this is how you plan a drill. This is how you work out a practice. This is how you detail all of this. So, and, and this would have been in the late, you know, late 90s, early 2000s. So by the time he gets to Tulsa, he's not only has he been coaching international or coaching in Serbia and Spain. But he's also been doing one-on-one coaching for more than a decade. And um, it seems like that's where he really excels when you get him on the court. Uh, He's somebody who's just really impressive and energetic. And I I reached out to Jeremy Lamb, who basically said, yeah, every time I asked, can I get into the gym? Can you come help me work out? Like, he never got a no. And that was sort of a a constant refrain we've heard in other stories and we've heard in this story. And, and, uh, you know, I, I spoke to Monty Williams for the story and he said, the key to any coach is you just sort of have to let you let them know the player or any coach player relationship is you have to let them know you care and show that you care. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, sort of, no, this is, you know, keep in mind, I'm writing a profile of a, of a new face. Nobody's going to come and say, oh, this is what I hate about Darko Ryakovich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. not how these stories work. But people really, really, really seem to admire his soft people. And by soft, I, 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 it's not a, yeah. it's a descriptive word, not a, not a, not a, you know, a judgment. His people skills and his ability to maintain touch with people, to to show that he cares, uh, they seem to be exceptional. And, and that goes for players. It also goes for coaches. So I, th- I think if you have the backing of your, your, your boss, the, the boss of the organization, and you're able to translate your experience into not only good basketball rules and, and good basketball's, you know, teaching skills, but also show that, you're willing to work as hard as they want to work in order to reach their goals. That's going to get you pretty far with developing players. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes sense. I mean, I, I think at some point there is no sort of like secret sauce in terms of like, this guy knows how to teach this play or this guy knows how to teach this move. Like I think, yeah, as you mentioned, the availability point is definitely the, the most important. I also think that, you know, that is one thing that you do hear coming up all the time with Darko is like, yeah, he does seem to have great people skills. I guess I'm wondering, like, was that why do you think that was such a big factor in this hiring process? And, and why do you think that that's ultimately one of the reasons why he got the job? Yeah, I mean, not, not a lot of questions about Nick necessarily. I just meant, you know, in general. Well, I mean, that's the way I was going to go first. But like, obviously, some of the relationships between players and players, between players and coaches weren't great last year. That's yep. not a secret anymore at this point. So, you know, I, I 
make a joke and it's usually not about basketball it's more often about football but it's like you you fire a uh a disciplinarian and you hire a player's coach and then yeah. when you lose you have, you fire the player's coach and hire the disciplinarian and 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 really i don't think it's as cut as dry as this i like i, I think nick had plenty of good relationships with players on the teams and, and maybe by the end of things you know, some of those had frayed, but, you know, so it goes. Uh, five years yeah. is a long time in the NBA. Um, but I do think th- the vibes, as as loath as I am to point to them at all, like you can even see it by the changes around Darko, like, mm-hmm. like around, you know, with, with some of the training staff changing, with the coaching staff almost entirely changing, this is an organization that had a lot of people who had been there for a long time in sort of the support staff um, area, and they clearly want some new voices, some new directions. Um, and so I think somebody who has the ability to connect with the modern player, with younger players, who's been, you know, credited with the development of Mikel Bridges, not not entirely, obviously. Any player development goes mostly to the player, but like Mikel Bridges and Desmond Bain, particularly Stephen Adams loves him. Um, Anybody who can connect like that, that's going to be a big plus. And what I find so interesting about the hiring is like the of the finalists that we know of, Masai had a relationship with Sergio Scariolo. Masai had a relationship with Kenny Atkinson. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think so much so much with Charles Lee, um, the Milwaukee assistant who now who's now with Boston. But like, to you know, to to skip over not to to hire a relative unknown for him, not not for the league, but for Masai, somebody he said he didn't know very well going into this process, yep. shows you how much that sort of openness and flexibility and enthusiasm uh, mattered to Masai. And I think there's certainly an element of, of last year to... Masai and the entire front office and probably Nick Nurse to whatever extent he still thinks about it. Uh, that's like, what the hell happened? <laughs> like, yeah. uh, you know, I, I think, um, you know, even being closer to the inside, I, I'm sure you sort of like, we could all say like they couldn't shoot and, and the defense yeah. was never as good as it was supposed to. But like, how exactly did, you know, a 48 win team turn into a 41 that that radiated joy turn into a 41 team where everybody 41 win team where everybody seemed to dislike each other um and in the absence uh, of you know being able to make every single roster change you want to make and 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 all of that you've got to do what you you got to control what you know you can, can control and you can mm-hmm. control a coach hire and you know, based on everybody you talk to, everybody I've talked to, that you know this guy Darko Ryakovich is going to bring a lot of positivity and a new type of energy. And I think after last year, that is something you know. I think Raptors fans could see why it would be appealing to the front office. Uh, and and yeah, so I think that's the most basic reason why. Long, very long answer for what, what was a very good question, uh, but I hope I answered it. No, I, I think that's 
that's completely fair. And I think that, um, you know, uh, what can I say this? Like, you know, maybe if we want to substitute the word culture, you just use the word like, or you substitute the word vibes, you can use the word culture, you know, yeah. and like culture for a team is, could mean a lot of things. It could mean like guys ultimately really committed towards a single goal and guys getting along and it's either sacrificing for that goal or just not even necessarily sacrificing, just like pushing in the same direction um, instead of sort of like more split agendas and things like that. And whatever, that's always going to happen in, in, in any sort of, um, team sport um, you know uh, you're going to have to sort of get everyone on the same page that's probably one of the more basic things of coaching but like it's fairly important and I think that yeah I mean you know as you wrote in, in your piece Ryakovich's hiring has earned so many smiles league-wide because of how he treats people that might not win a team many games at first but after last year's season a bad vibes for the Raptors one that could not be blamed this time on having to relocate to Florida uh, as they had to do when they play their home games in Tampa during the post-bubble season, you can see why Rakovich won over team president Masai Ujiri and the Raptors brass during their expansive coaching search. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, even just, you know, one of the things we're going down to summer league, and this is my first time going this year, yeah. was just like the people aspect, uh, people watching aspect. Like I was just like milling around as you do, you know, waiting for the game to start. And I'm just like looking behind me and I was like, oh, that's Darko having a very long conversation with uh, Dwayne Casey. And then Masai came over. And then, um, you know, the Pistons were there because it was Raptors-Pistons that game. And so Cam Johnson, um, uh, who, I, I guess, I don't know why Cam Johnson was there, but Cam Johnson was there. And it was just like, oh, him and Darko had like a long conversation, a big hug. And it just seemed like every single conversation and interaction with him was very friendly. And again, as you mentioned, like that's what's going to happen with the new head coach who finally makes it for the first time. Like there's going to be a lot of good feelings. Um but yeah, you can definitely see that he has this connection with players. Even talking to guys like Dennis Schroeder, who, um, you know, I think in his interview uh, where I talked to him and, and he kind of described it as like, you know, Billy Donovan was the coach, but, you know, Darko was already moving in many ways like a head coach would um, in those moments. And so you could tell that they had a connection as well. And uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully that 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 really um, works here because again, like Darko, I think, Skirting around all of this is just like Darko has a huge job to do here. Yeah, a lot of it hinges on Darko, you know. And we don't know exactly what the job will be, right? Like, you yeah. know, it, it's pretty fair to, and I, I, I didn't want to dwell on this in the story because sure. it's. I'm trying to make sure it's about the coach and not the Raptors. Uh, we can go one star like, without mentioning trading Pascal. Like, it's fine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, I wrote. We don't know if this will be the same team in February, and it's a pretty damn good guess that the core will look pretty different next October, right? Two Octobers mm-hmm. from now. So, and I think that's another part of it, and, and that's you know something I talked to Maurizio Gherardini uh, uh, over the phone, and he he said it without me sort of you know leading him in that direction. He's like, if you have an eye on you know developing players and he didn't say like rebuilding but that's yeah for all intents and purposes what he meant this is the type of guy you hire um and, and to so like I, I i don't think they have like we've both studied what messiah has done in the past he's you know an opportunity like he's more of an opportunist than somebody who's going to definitely go in one direction or the other because he like 
believes that's what has to happen. I think like he he will see what the market dictates and, and go forward, which is why I wrote like, you know, he's as likely to pull off a an unexpected win now trade as, mm-hmm. you know, trading Siakam and really setting the timeline back, um, you know, maybe not as likely just because of the realities of where they are, but like, it wouldn't shock me um, if they found a way to do that. Um, but there's certainly many worlds in which this team goes in that direction. And to have somebody who's so, you know, who thinks so much about player development, who thinks so much about personal individual growth is you know another not that these candidates all of them aren't capable of doing that you know Penny Atkinson is is thought to be one of the better development coaches in the league and yeah. you know that's why Charlotte wanted to hire him last year um but you know that's another aspect to his hiring for sure um and and yeah like so not that you know if they end up in a more competitive contending space you never know how a first year coach is going to do we had that same conver conversation five years ago about nick nurse it turned out pretty well but but i think certainly that that is in Masai jerry and bobby webster's and then the rest of the front office's mind is that this is a guy who can you know deal with the hiccups that come with a team that isn't you know expecting that isn't realistically going to push 50 wins or anything right um you know i think that's completely fair and you definitely need somebody um who can develop players i think even honestly regardless of whether they want to win or not i do have some questions in terms of just like in terms of as a head coach like how much can a head coach still be on the court one-on-one with players in the same way that an assistant can right because an assistant coach like that could be like 50 percent of your job that could be like a hundred percent of your job, to be honest, if you're a second row guy to just be on the court and working with guys. And I think it's, it's a lot easier to do that again, when you have an assistance role where you can sort of more specialize or focus and, and build individual relationships with players versus as a head coach, you have so many responsibilities. You kind of have to act like a CEO, like a CEO is not in the, in the plant, like assembling whatever um, in this like very 1980s uh, American economy the type of uh, analogy here, but like, you know, I, I do wonder how much like specific player development the head coach can do. Well, my counter would be like, like in your experience, who are your favorite bosses or who are your most effective bosses? Probably the people who have done exactly what you have done before and know mm-hmm. how to guide you. So like if you have that, not that the head coach, you know, as always, it's a coach organization front office joint project but if you have a coach who is let who has been really successful in this way who is like this is how you need to spend your time this is what's worked for me this is how we're going to do it here and this is you know the time you're going to spend with this player and what he needs if he's the ceo of your player development even if he doesn't isn't you know getting dirty in the same way on a daily basis um he knows what that's like yeah. and he knows what to tell these coaches and, and the players about that process. Um, and, and I, I know for me, like my best editors have been people who have been, who have done this job before or a version of my job before and, and know what it's like to have to 
juggle the different responsibilities of my job. And, and right. I have no doubt that that and, you know, again, this isn't to criticize Dick Nurse because he did plenty of player development as, as Dwayne as Dwayne Casey's assistant. And that he is was going over to Lithuania yeah. to work with JV yeah, exactly. or working out with Pascal. Like, yeah, these were. Yeah. But you would like you would hope that, the you know, the more micro ex, uh, experience turns into a more macro approach. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think that's the idea. So I think there's a potential where it can matter even more because the value isn't necessarily him specifically being on the floor. It's what he's able to do and how he manages that, you know, that area of his job. And there's no huge reason why that shouldn't be teachable uh, mm-hmm. to, to yeah. others. And not that, you know, his assistant coaches have no experience. They know what they're doing, but, you know, if you can make them 1% better at doing that, it all trickles up yeah. to the players as the hope. No, that's fair. And and again, like a lot of this is going to fall on Darko because like, you know, in terms of the Raptors changing over their, their, their staff, like pretty much the only coach that was retained was Jim Sand. And yeah. you just can't let go of Jim. Like Jim is literally one of those guys that's going to be there every single day, every single night, whenever you need to work out with the players. Um, but like, yeah, they, they swapped out, like the Raptors had a fairly big coaching staff and, and they, and they essentially swapped the whole thing. And so Dark was going to have his, 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 uh, imprint on pretty much all the assistant coaches under him as well. Um, because there are no sort of retained, uh, pieces there. I, I, I guess my other question with it is just like, you know, I, I, yes, I, I definitely believe that player development is very important and it's probably going to be the biggest thing that Darko brings, but I also want to know like how he wants the basketball to look, you know, and I, I remember when, and obviously it's a totally different situation, but when Nick was brought on, like Nick was already just like happy to spout and and gush um, while they're publicly or privately about just like, this is sort of my plans for the team. And I have these ideas and, you know, and, and you know, sort of a mad scientist approach. And, you know, again, like all that really worked clearly the first year he was here, he won, he won the championship and not just because Kawhi and Mark joined the team and Danny, but like, because of a lot of the tactics that he put into place and whether it's because Darko can't necessarily say with absolute certainty, what his roster is going to be for this upcoming season. But I would love to know like what he envisions Raptors basketball to look like, even generally independent of the roster. Right. And I, and I, I don't know if you got any specifics out of him in terms of just like um, how he wants to play, because when I interviewed him, when I interviewed um, uh, his, his assistant, uh, you know, Pat Delaney, like they were all very careful to not specifically say anything about what they want yeah. to do tactically. Yeah. Like there are general, the same generalities he said at his introductory press conference, we want to limit, <sighs> you want to protect the prey. We want to limit quarter threes. It's like, Oh yeah, really? Yeah, like the, <laughs> oh, man. the most yeah. efficient shots in basketball. You want, you don't want that many of those. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I, I think the one thing, and I, I get the sense and this is very broad, so it's yeah. not, it's not, but I, he doesn't want as much mismatch hunting and sort of stagnant basketball. He wants more movement. Um, and that's both ball movement and player movement than the Raptors have shown in previous years. And 
it's going to have to be something that's ingrained into these guys, assuming, you know, the three big forwards are still here because Mm -hmm. to some extent, not that they can't make plays like Pascal and Scotty are obviously for their size, for their position, like really, really good playmakers. But what's been ingrained into them for the most part is when they get the ball on the perimeter, they sort of survey the land and stop the ball a little bit because, you know, whether it's because they don't have the, just the pure speed to just go and, and get and make that advantage or they don't have the jumpers to do like a simple, you know, go stop, put, take, take the pull up three, whether, you know, it's that they're just really damn big. And and the bigger you are, the longer your arms are and the harder it is to dribble into tight spaces. And, and therefore you really have to see where the, the holes are before you make your move, whatever it is like, all three of those guys, and I, I'm talking about OGN and OB2, tend to like to see how the defense is setting up as opposed to, you know, just getting in there and keeping the defense off balance. And so if those three guys are there, they'll be starting. They'll be playing a lot of minutes together, and it's going to take a lot of a lot of reps to get that at least a little bit out of their systems and i think and we'll see how that goes there Mm -hmm. will be there will be you know i remember mike babcock when he took over the leafs there will be pain Um, okay yeah yeah yeah. um um, (laughs) it, it will be it's a bit of an awkward fit and that's why we've spent so much time talking about do these three guys make sense together but it's assuming they're still there a part of you know, a big part of the stylistic job, I think, is making these guys make quicker decisions upon catching the ball and a bit less surveying and a bit more going and just making decisions after you're, you've started moving. At the same time, the players are the players, and he's careful to say, you know, you can't force, uh, you know, force something that isn't there. So... I think that's why he's not getting too far into into details is because okay. he knows like even if that's his goal is to create the 2014 Spurs all over again like it's it's sort of unrealistic to do that unless you know the roster changes pretty and I'm not saying that is his goal but like yeah it's unrealistic to do that with the current roster so it's yeah. it's going to be about baby steps and it's going to be about just you know making the surveying going from three dribbles to two or two dribbles to one and, 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 and getting along that way, I think. Yeah. I mean, look, that'd be ideal. I, I think that will definitely be ideal. Um, But again, I, I just would like to know, like, and I, maybe I'm just like endlessly curious uh, because um, you know, I'm, I'm sure like you, like I, I, I really like this, you know, just breaking down like the style of play and sort of yeah. getting a sense of like what their strategy is. And um, I think that the, I get a better sense of what macro strategy looks like for the Raptors um, in terms of wanting to highlight player development. That's great. But again, I want to know what the micro stuff is too. And I, like, and I just, you know, all these interviews with Darko, he seems to be fairly well media trained. You know, he is not giving up this info and he does have a, a couple of talking points that are coming out consistently all the time as well. You know, like um, he, he's, he's, he said essentially the same quote about Scotty, like six or seven different times in interviews um and yeah whenever he's asked about uh style of play it's uh 
you know, like you mentioned, protect the paint, pick away corner threes, and then share the ball and move uh, on offense. And I'm like, yo, that's great. But like, you know, I, I just want to hear a little bit more. But again, like he, he doesn't know what the roster is going to look like. Um, and, uh, you know, actually, I was going to pivot away from from this topic about Darko to um, just talking about the Raptors rotation as well, because you sort of uh, took your early stab at sort of what that looks like as well. But my last question on Darko was just like, um, yeah, I mean, as a as a longtime Raptor fan, seeing the name Maurizio Garadini come up like at least four or five times in your piece was really a nostalgia trip. So maybe for like uh, fans who are newer to the team, um, who aren't as sort of like really really plugged into Raptors history, like Eric, can you can you walk us through who Maurizio Garadini is, uh, what he does right now, and, and what he did for the Raptors back in the day in terms of his significance to the team? Yeah, so as I said, when the two of them would have met, uh, the two of them being Sam Presti and Darko Ryakovich, uh, Maurizio Garadini was uh, in charge of the Benetton Treviso team, and, and that's where Basketball with Bo- Without Borders, the European edition, um, took place. Uh, I, like, we haven't been able to nail down the year they met. My best guess, it was 2003 or 2004. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, Two years later, uh, or, you know, February 2006, uh, Brian Colangelo takes over. I think, you know, that's after Babcock, Rob Babcock gets fired and Wayne Embry does, you know, the greatest interim job in the history of, uh, uh, you know, sports by getting rid of the Jalen Rose contract. Uh, hey. uh, um, that, that's, a deep, that's a deep cut. Uh, that's um, what we're here for. I, but uh, yeah, Maurizio Garadini uh, is, is somebody Colangelo hires to be his sort of top lieutenant uh, in the first iteration of his front office. Uh, he is also, you know, Treviso had been where Andrea Bargnani had been playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Garadini, you know, it's never known exactly how much having hiring Maurizio Garadini had to do with the plan to draft Andrea Bargnani. I'm still not clear. And like, to be fair, I I had not started covering the team in 2006. I only started full-time in 2008. So, Mm. um, but yeah, he is like the top assistant uh, to Brian Colangelo for about five years there. And during which Masai Ujiri is working under them until he takes the Denver job in 2010. Um, and, And, you know, First of all, he's one of the sort of the more funny and open executives you'll find in sports. So, like, I any excuse there is to talk to him, I, I I'm gonna take. Um, but he, yeah, he helped steer that team, and obviously, that things didn't go as well as they hoped, and yeah. they ended up building some uh, pretty spectacular uh, offense-only teams uh, to to end the Chris Bosh tenure. Um, but he also like he took a big role with Canada basketball before Steve Nash came on, and and that that's another thing. You know, it's it's August, and we're talking about training camp a little bit. The, sure, the yeah. men's national team, and he sort of steered the ship there for a while. Um, hmm. As um, as you know, just when Corey Joseph and Tristan Thompson were about to be drafted, really starting the the huge wave of you know every year there's one or two Canadians being yep. drafted. Uh, and and he was organizing the program, and and I remember for a while I jokingly called him the the dean of Canadian basketball, which he uh, he did not love that term, uh, being a man of a man of the world, not just Canadian basketball. Yeah. But he's uh you know sort of this 
sarcastic, uh, you know, fun guy to chat to. And he uh, he was mentioning how, like, Scariolo had been at his camps and Atkinson. So he was watching the Raptors race very closely because mm-hmm. a bunch of his friends were up for that job. And he didn't know. And apart from knowing Masai, he knew all these guys. So um, he says, you know, for whatever it's worth, this obviously didn't make it into my story because it's not about Maurizio Gherardini, but he, he says he still considers himself a, a Raptor. He still loves Toronto. He's hoping to nice. come by the city in September, said we'd go out and have an espresso, uh, which is <laughs> the most know, Italian thing ever. Man. Yeah, which which uh, apparently Serbian too. Darko loves his coffee and his espresso. apparently. Yeah. So, uh, uh, but uh, yeah, he's. He's just one of the more, and now I'm sorry you asked about now. He he runs Fenerbahce, one of the oh, more prominent yeah, Euro- really team. European teams, uh, certainly the most prominent Turkish team. He's done that for a while, and after he was let go uh, by the Raptors, he was I, I don't know what his exact phrase was, but he was actually in whether it was just as a consultant or not. Like he worked for the Thunder under Presti, so hmm. that that makes thing you know that ties up this mishmash of of people even more so uh maybe we yeah. do need a Mauricio Garadini uh feature Eric not to put more on your plate as we head into August and I'm sure you're looking forward to a vacation of some sort but he uh, would uh he would I think recoil from the notion of being <laughs> profiled um it also uh, you know might involve trying to get Brian Colangelo on the phone which isn't the most easy the easiest yeah, thing to do right. uh I wonder what post, he's up to post sixers I know he bought that or, or he was in on that Australian team but that's sort of the last the last I heard um you know maybe we get another if we you know when he retires or something, maybe uh, the weird, wonderful basketball life of Maurizio oh. Garardini would be a great story or, or something. Not to give give any free story ideas to any basketball writers, but I'm, I'm sure the stories yes. he has that he would not put on the record are great, and I'm sure he'd have some very good ones that he would put on the record, too. Yeah, I I, th- I thought you were gonna say when Brian Colangelo retires, I want I, oh. I want I want the Brian Colangelo story as well, because again, like. All, for all oh, these yeah. guys, like they're they're all so connected, right? And I think that that's the thing with like when you think about Maurizio, like so obviously worked under Brian, so that was a whole era of the Raptors. Then worked with Masai as well during that time. Masai obviously is the GM now uh, or the president now, and you know now sort of like even having this connection with Darko, it's just like we're talking about like twenty years of Raptors basketball that he is either directly involved in or one step removed from. And it's just yeah, kind of interesting, you know? Like Maybe the lesson is, like, the basketball world isn't, like... It's, it's very small, it's, you're it's, right. It's expansive, but the number of people who are, you know... The number of people who are, like, the real... Not that there's, like, a bunch of... Like, I was going to use the phrase power brokers, and that's not quite right, because it's not like Maurizio Garadini is is putting five candidates on, on, Masai, <laughs> on Masai's lap. Like, Masai can do his own work. It's not like back in the day where the NBA sort of shoved Letty Wilkins toward the Raptors. Like, hey, hire this guy after Butch Carter tries to, uh, you know, 
do a do a mini coup on uh on, on the Raptors front office. Uh, hey, shout to Bush Carter, man. Yeah, yeah, like, hell of a coach. I, I'll have plenty yeah, of people. Abs- yeah. there's, there's at least two people who are like best X's and O's coaches the Raptors have have ever happened. But uh-huh. you know, Masai Ujiri <clears throat> and his staff are now worldly and trained enough where they don't need the NBA yeah. or even you know a consulting firm pointing them toward coaches. Uh, but you know. Maurizio's been around and, you know, as we've learned through the last two Raptors coaching hires, like neither of those guys really pumped through the American system, coaching system, yeah. right? And yeah. and Maurizio Garadini touches a, a lot of what goes on in, in Europe for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, definitely very interesting. I, I think, again, like this is the kind of content that maybe it's just because like you and I are like NBA nerds, you know, and like we just would love to hear any sort of story connected to basketball sort of somewhat tangentially. But I I think there is a lot of interest in terms of just like, you know, what these sort of networks or connections kind of look like, especially ones that aren't just based here. Cause I think those ones you probably see a lot more, but even something like Masai and and, and Kenny are really good friends. Like I, I, and like they go back way back. Like I didn't really know that until Masai mentioned it. Um, I think there was like a little side scrum that he did with us after the Darko Presser. Yeah, I don't know and, how close they are, but like they sort of, he, yeah, yeah, he made it clear that they have a relationship of some sort, he, which is yeah. not, I did not know. Yeah. And I talked, I, 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 again, like just in summer, like you just end up talking to people and I just like saw Kenny Atkinson. I was like, oh, okay, that's a good chance to ask him about, you know, a couple of things and whatever. He wasn't gonna give me all the answers, especially cause we had first, this is the first time we had ever yeah, met. Yeah. <laughs> um but yeah i mean yeah he confirmed that like you know that they have this sort of connection and and obviously he was involved in that process so um okay let's pivot over to the actual um players and the team itself because you know obviously darko can't or won't comment on it right now but uh, the roster as is assuming that it, it stays uh the way it is like y- we're gonna have some some questions and and you know you wrote over at the athletic breaking down the Raptors rotation, a depth chart. And, and, you know, you even added the little caution that like, look, this is early and the things can change, but a couple of things I, I'm thinking about in terms of just like outside of the main players and the main four, which is uh, Scotty, Pascal, OG, Jakob, those four, we know are for sure going to be in the starting lineup. You get to a point where you got to question who's going to be the fifth starter between Dennis Shorter and, and Gary Trent Jr. And Eric, to me, I think it makes more sense to put Gary in a starting lineup because Gary is a lot better as a starter and, and pretty bad, honestly, in the two times that he's come off the bench, both last season and also in Tampa when he came off the bench. Um, where, whereas I think he's pretty good as a starter. Um, and I think Dennis is good as a starter or off the bench. And so that's why I'm, I'm choosing to start Gary if it's sort of my fifth option to to be in the starting lineup. I wanted to hear your thoughts on who the fifth starter will be. Yeah, I thought of it less from a basketball perspective and, okay. and more uh, more of a like, who does this team have a longer commitment to? Now, literally, they have a longer commitment to Dennis Schroeder, yes. Schroeder at yeah. the moment. But like, yeah. likely Gary Trent is more you know, important to this team's future, even if they end up trading him, like promote it. He is like a more attractive trade trip chip um, than Dennis Schroeder is going to be to this team. So that's, you know, they have slightly more invested in him in terms of time spent and you don't want to get too caught up in that. But 
I think that's a factor as well. But like, so I went with Trent and I have him playing, I, I think, 30 minutes to or something to to Schroeder's 22 or 24. I forget what it is. But mm-hmm. if you do that, you're putting a lot of pressure on Pascal Siakam and Scotty Barnes to bring up the ball. Like, like not that Gary Trent can't do that, but that's not I mean. really his thing. Um, and I think that's a serious concern. So like, you know, I, I would default this way to, to start. I could see myself being wrong. I could definitely see myself being wrong after 10 games and they see the toll it's, it's sort of taking on them. And so, yeah, that's, that's why I went in that direction. But I, I, you know, like everybody else, there are worries there about getting people in the right place and, and mm-hmm. just about, like I said, getting the ball past half court. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe I, I'm curious if you've ever asked any NBA players about this. And because um, I, I think it's thinking about it now, I definitely want to. But like, why is bringing the ball up such like a big thing? Like to me, you know what I mean? Like when I'm maybe I'm just like, as playing pickup or whatever, it's never like a concern to bring the ball up. It doesn't seem exhausting to bring the ball up. Yeah, and of but course you're not getting pressed, you... but like yes, that's what I was gonna say. But like, like how often do people press like that in, in if you're like an if people don't respect your ability to okay. do that, they that's... might press a bit more often. And if if you're as important to your team as Pascal Siakam would be to this Raptors team, they might do that. Uh, and even last year, like I can remember plenty of times where they're turning Fred two or three times before the, before the, um, the half court line. And it's not necessarily to create a turnover. It's just mm-hmm. the, exhausting know, the cumulative a little bit. Yeah. wear over the game. So I, I think like, yeah. do, I, do I think it's a bit overblown? Sure. Like, That's what like, I mean. Yeah. I, 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 I certainly, um, but like given the defensive responsibility Pascal Siakam has in terms of like flying around. I mean, the defensive system will presumably be a bit different, but like flying around and and covering and contesting threes, like if that guy has a little less juice in his legs to make those contests, that that's great. And one way you can do that while also exhausting your own team, because pressing, you know, does take Mm -hmm. its its own physical limitation on uh, or, or physical toll on the, the pressor um is is by you know exerting ball pressure and and that people are just look people are going to look at the raptors roster and that's going to be an obvious thing that jumps out i i don't think i I don't think like we're going to see full court presses all the time against them because we've talked about that happening plenty it never happens but oh we'll see when when we play the sixers yeah yeah but more than (laughs) your average team Uh uh-huh yeah sure yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, at least the, at least the Sixers don't have Matisse Thibault to to execute those presses. Uh, uh, don't uh, worry, they still got PJ. They still got yeah. PJ. Um, yeah. <laughs> um. I I don't know. I I actually want to be in the room when Nick Nurse tries to propose for James Harden to do any sort of pressing on defense of any sort. I I just want to be there. Like I actually just want to be a fly on the wall on the wall and <laughs> and see the reaction. Um. Okay. So. Yeah. I mean. I I think. Gary, okay. Aside aside from the ball handling, which is a concern, and again, you get into this weird roster where you have to have these trade offs no matter what. Um, I, I like the fact that he's a. You just need somebody who can really shoot around Pascal, and and I think Gary has benefited from playing with Pascal pretty much more than anyone else on the roster, quite frankly. Um, and you know, you give him that outlet. 
you're starting two shooters in your starting five, which, you know, <laughs> modest in the in the league these days. But, hey, um, you know, those those are your two best shooters and you're going to have to start them. Um, Dennis coming off the bench, I think that would really help too. Cause I think it's just like, that's something that the Raptors for the last two seasons, maybe even three seasons, they just haven't had a consistent playmaker who can like, not just like carry your whole bench group, but like Dennis Schroeder as your backup point guard who comes in and steadies play and all that, like that's, that's not bad. That's a lot better than what the Raptors have had. Like we, we've been rocking with Malachi and Delano, um, and I suppose even Jeff Dowden and Will Barton, like to go to Dennis Schroeder is actually going to be a huge relief. Yes. He's a real live NBA point guard. Um, yes, yeah. Not, not to, not to like, like, but there's a reason the fans were so have been so anxious to see Malachi Flynn, like actually get some regular minutes. And it was because it's not like Flynn has lit it up all the time when he's actually been on the floor, but it's like, mm-hmm. he projects as that type of player that can, you know, like like the dude's rug like hold all the thing you know really tie the room together yeah. um and schroeder knows how to do that like he, he's you know not the the world's greatest playmaker but he's certainly going to be able to get you organized he's certainly quick enough to create those advantages and get the defense off balance and and give your you know your more chaotic offensive players some more open lanes whether it's to shoot or or to cut off the ball Mm -hmm. and and make their lives a bit easier because when it's all just well hopefully we create a turnover uh and we can run or else yeah or else that like or, or else we're gonna have a really damn hard time scoring that puts a lot of pressure on you defensively and i think you know there were so many conversations about how tired the starters might have been last year but uh, but even the the bench players not finding you know nobody really finding their their comfort level for an extended period of time you know part of it is having to exert so much defensively because you know that's the only way you'll be able to live offensively and right. i think like having somebody who just can run a pick and roll can get everybody organized who can create a bit for himself it will be a relief. Now that would come with not having a natural point guard in the starting lineup, and and that puts a ton of pressure on on Scotty Barnes to develop. And but that's the whole yeah, point, um, right? But that, yeah, no, exactly. So yeah, like, that... like I, that's what that's sort of why. Like another reason why I don't mind having Trent in the in the starting lineup instead of Schroeder is because like, yeah, I sort of want to see Scotty Barnes sink or sink or swim in in not the full-time role of point guard, but like his, you know, bigger than his share last year. Uh, I want to see what that looks like. And if he can't handle it, well, then Mm -hmm. we have more evidence on what he has to work on. And that gets back to Darko, right? Like that gets back to that, that player develops development specialty. For sure. For sure. Um, Okay. Second unit wise. This is where Vision 6-9 starts to look really, really funky. I mean, the starting lineup already is a little funky, but at least, like, there's no question that, like, OG, Scotty, and Pascal are all really good players. And so you can make it work because they're really good yeah. players. Second unit-wise, realistically, you can only play two of the four because when you play three of these four, you get into a mode where none of them are playmakers for you, none of them are consistent shooters for you. 
And those four players being Chris Boucher and Precious Achua, who obviously were the main two last season off the bench in terms of the front court players. Christian Coloco, who we're hoping to get more minutes for, because I thought he was fairly effective defensively in limited minutes. Um, Absolutely, and, yeah. You know, is deserving of more time there. Uh, and then also Jalen McDaniels, who we have just sprinkled on, which honestly, in a vacuum, Jalen McDaniels for two years at the biennial exception for like 4.5, that's pretty good value contract. However, on this specific team, his I just don't see how much application you're going to be able to make of him based on the fact that, again, like if you are starting three of the or if you're bringing three of those guys off the bench, you're saying one of them is playing small forward for you. And none of those guys are small forwards. Maybe McDaniels to a lesser degree, but doesn't really have the playmaking or the handles, I would say, to to be a true three. Um, and yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's just it's an awkward roster, Eric. And so I, oh, I'm yes, asking I you to pick, <laughs> I'm asking you to pick two of those guys. And and if you get really creative, maybe three. And this is saying nothing of Thad Young, who, by the way, I think could actually and Otto Porter and Otto. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, let's just say Otto's playing two. Okay, let's two in terms of position and minutes. Um, picking yeah. two of them. I, I mean, I don't know, man. I, I think like, <laughs> I think they'll go all, ahead. Go uh, ahead. Like, it was a struggle getting it down to a ten man roster, uh, like ten man rotation. I should say, yeah. and ten's not ideal. Nine's ideal, and Nine like is ideal. Yeah. injuries will sort this out. Probably, like you hope, you hope it doesn't. You hope there are tough choices to be made, but real realistically, at some point, injuries are gonna. Yeah. Gonna um, gonna solve things. So like, just in terms of pure, I'm curious and I want more information on on these guys. I would choose Achua and Coloco. Realistically, it's hard not to put Chris Boucher in there and sort of put McDaniel's as the fourth guy. But like, to some extent, that has to be like, and Coloco's doing something different clearly than than the other three. Like he yeah, is for sure. And that's why I I had him in like a ten minute role as like the you know Pirtle comes out he plays the end of the quarter and and you know picks up his fouls does a bit more rim running. Hopefully uh, he doesn't pick up the fouls again. Well, right, but like, like you know and yeah. saves Yak from like the fouls he's gonna pick up. Like yeah. like you know if you're a center in the NBA you're gonna you're gonna pick up fouls especially if you're playing that you know we don't know what type of defense they'll play but if there's that much pressure like paint protection if there are there's a level of paint protection issues they had last year there will be fouls and now we hope that's not the case but it's it's certainly possible Mm. um so like spiritually like in terms of what i'm interested in like i think precious and and coloco are the guys and but like all along i've sort of thought like a forward for guard type move was coming and you know now they have 15 full-time contracts on the roster and plus Jeff Doughton. And it's just a harder time in August once rosters are full to make trades, but that could still happen. But I think all four guys are going to head into training camp thinking whether they, I mean, that all NBA players think they should get a spot in the rotation, but like Mm -hmm. having a semi-realistic path to, to those minutes. And I think, you know, the to use the cliche a little open competition is probably good for everybody involved um and good for the team as a whole right right um yeah a, a trade would be very ideal let's just say that a trade would be very, and 
I mean, uh, not to sidetrack, but uh, the Raptors signing Garrett Temple this week, uh, you know, uh, we, maybe we should have led with this because that was the, the, the big <laughs> news of the week was, if was that's Garrett the Temple big being news, signed. Not, no disrespect yeah. to the to the 14-year veteran or whatever it is, but if that's mm-hmm. the big news of the week, we can we can talk about it now. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 54, 55 minutes into the show, we are talking about the one tangible thing that happened with the team this year, or this week. But, this week. um. Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm not totally sure like why they like solidified their all their roster spots right now. I would su- I would say like like you mentioned, it suggests that you know there isn't a trade that's coming, or that if there is a trade, it would be more of a one for one. But again, that that kind of limits your flexibility, and the team is generally not. This team loves flexibility so much, you know, like they just it's about flexibility. It's it's not about like committing to one specific direction or the other. And I think it frustrates people, but they don't necessarily care about that as well. Nor should nor should they if it frustrates people. Like I yeah, okay, I have yeah. plenty of issues with the team building that's gone on and I've been like I've written about them and and mm-hmm. I mean who hasn't at this point, but yep. like you don't want your front office caring about what the fans think is right you want them caring about their overall you know you want them to enjoy the team but but beyond that and there's sort of to be a a clear message and and direction i would say and that's where we can start to you know get into some serious conversations that we probably don't have time for today um but in terms of like the the people like, like the fans being able to figure out the rotation right now i don't yeah as i don't want messiah jerry caring at all about that uh, mm-hmm. yeah. that aspect of it and he definitely doesn't uh let's yeah. just be clear um yeah but you know even, even the gary temple setting i'm like all right like again like another vet in the locker room i think that's that's fine with me like when you compare like what a 15th man will do in terms of like i don't know joe Wieskamp or who else have we had as 15th men recently I don't even know. I don't even remember a lot of them. Like Jalen Harris, let's say. Like these, the these Sam, guys. There was a Sam Decker era. Yeah, yeah, a very brief Sam Decker yeah. era where he be, managed to become friends with Blake Murphy fairly quickly. It seems like, <laughs> um, and OG to be fair. But like yeah. you know, it's uh, yeah, like you compare that versus like what a vet like Garrett Temple could bring. Like I understand it. I think actually value wise, probably the vet brings you a lot more value in terms of to your organization versus like you know, a random fifth random fifteenth man who is maybe at best gonna get another minimum contract the following year. However, at the same time, it does limit your flexibility because again, you would like one of these trades. And again, having mentioned all this, we haven't necessarily said the name Grady Dick once in this whole podcast. Yeah, that was I, the biggest that was the thing I heard most about when uh yeah when I wrote that piece. Right. And and, and again, like you are not the coach, so it's not like um, you know, you know, you are the one to direct this ire against. But I mean I, I do wonder like how much is Grady going to play? Like based on what you saw at summer league, based on what I saw at summer league, I wouldn't say it's like he's immediately, obviously going to be a contributor from day one. And there's no doubt about that because he played so well. But I do think that like for a guy with his skill set, can he be a backup to and play 10 minutes a game? I think you can. I think the, the bigger thing is just how do you find minutes for him when you already have this sort of like weird mismatch of players coming off the bench? You yeah. Know. And now, now first the thing working most for him uh, and like, I'm not going to go by summer league stats is like, he brings a skill that they badly need. Uh, and he moves, to, he, and, he's and a he, movement yeah. shooter. We don't have it. Yeah. And like he, to be honest, he impressed me in summer league, just like knowing where to be. And I, and I know okay. that sounds like coach speaky and like, 
it sort of makes excuses for his percentages, which weren't very good. But like, he's not a player who you wanted handing handling the ball as much as he was handling the ball, right? Like, yeah. he's, you know, especially in his early years, you want him mostly operating off the ball, you know, get it, maybe use a pump fake, take one or two dribbles and either find a shot or find the next play. You don't want him having to do as much as he had to do on this team. Saying that, he's skinny as hell right now. Mm-hmm. And if the Raptors go full into development mode, sure, force feed him 18 to 20 minutes. Until they do that, it's just hard to see, while already not playing Thad Young and already not playing Otto Porter Jr. And and I guess that's the the thing that I would mention is like, I wouldn't be hugely shocked if one of the two of those guys is not on the roster by the start of training camp. I, I, mm. I, I that's not reporting, but like no, I agree. Case, it's right now. And GTJ case, next. Yeah. Say this right now, Eric Curry. Yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm joking. Please, please. Yeah, yeah. and and but I, like that wouldn't surprise me. Uh, the thing is, not to get too nerdy about this, but their their contracts, sad it's being for about eight. A uh, million and uh, Otto Porter's being for six point three could definitely have value in a bigger trade. Sure, um, yeah, for sure. So that I think would be the the thing really stopping them from just you know trading them into cap space of a team or or whatever the situation might be. Um, whether even cap space still exists uh, to to make that sort of trade, I've gotten mm-hmm. way off topic here. Um, I, so like. Until they're in that, we're developing, we're, you know, not that concerned about the day-to-day wins. Like, it's hard for me to put him over any, like, maybe McDaniels I can put him over. You can make that case that he can get the 10 or 12 minutes that I have going to McDaniels right now in a 10-minute, in a 10-man rotation. Hmm. But, but like, maybe not. Maybe they want him playing with the 905 the first half of the or not the half but like the first 15 games of the 905 season and playing 30 minutes a night next to Marquise Noel and and getting used to the role that he will actually fill on a Raptors team with Scotty Barnes with OGN and OB with Pascal Siakam mm-hmm. yeah I mean I, I just think that like you know again like maybe there is no obligation for the organization to do fan service but I do think that like maybe it's like tossing a bone to fans being like hey there is something exciting here like we did draft this guy with a 13th pick we, he is if not the best shooter one of the two best shooters in this draft and on the team that really lacks shooting you know um here you go somebody who can really knock it down and uh finding time for him and and getting people excited for him would be kind of one thing you could sort of get out of this season because again like i don't know eric like I don't, I don't feel like my job at all is to like sell this team on anybody. Like, I think it's just, I, I have personal feelings about the team and try to break it down and talk to other people who are engaged with the team. But like, if I were to think about how to sell this, this season, it, it is kind of hard. Like, I, I think, you know, it's, it's a little hard to sell the vision of the Raptors to a consumer. And at the very root of it, that is still the business that the Raptors are in. And, oh, we're, we're still doing capitalism? Is that what's happening? Uh, Eric, <laughs> we live in Toronto, so it's the Toronto Raptors. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I envy 
I, I don't envy. I, I pity some of the MLS employees who have to like, and I think, like sell this to, team right now. <laughs> more to your point, like uh, I think great, like Grady Dick's going to be in the rotation by January. Like I, I, okay, I, that's, think, I that, think that's, that's all, all people want to hear. That's yeah, all like, people like, want to hear. Thank you, I Coach. Would be there, I would be surprised if he weren't. But like, I've also been expecting a trade for you know mm-hmm. when was February since then. So yeah. like that that like sort of clears the that that makes their direction a bit clearer so like i could be wrong on that but like i i i think at some point they're gonna have to you know they've hired this coach to bring it full circle to help you in this way you're clearly you know this coach is talking so much about scotty barnes and to your point about selling the team, I think that's part of it is like sure, sell yeah. this okay. 20 happy birthday, Scotty, a 22 year old um, guy who you want to be the, or at least one of the faces of your franchise. And you have to start to look toward the next era of Raptors basketball. And I think, you know, that's why so many people are thinking about Pascal Siakam trade, mm. et cetera, et cetera. Cause at some point it's just the th- the thing that, makes the most sense and is almost easiest to do but we've learned you know going back to kyle lowry at the trade deadline like messiah jerry is going to work on his own clock at this so like me declaring yeah. grady dick playing by january maybe it's maybe he's playing by february 10th i don't know but yeah. like at some point i i think he's not going to linger in mississauga all year that would be legitimately surprising that would be really sad um again not just for the enjoyment of the team but also just in terms of like you know what we can look forward to but hey listen you know it, the the roster is what it is and uh we'll see if there are any other moves but you know after you sign Garrett Temple to f- completely fill out your roster also I feel bad for Jeff Down in a way I I, I, feel, I don't know who it's not like Jeff Down needs to have a contract. It's not like Jeff Down is like undeniably an NBA player who has the potential to become a starter or anything like that. And and I don't want to reduce every player to that because that's not what everyone needs to be. But I do feel bad because it was like one of the development stories last year that was like, okay, there's a little positivity. And then yeah, he, he, he just, yeah. He kind of earned it last year. Like, like to There's whatever... not even a spot for him right now, Eric. Yeah, yeah I, I, I am aware. Um, Saying that, there's not, there's also nothing stopping them if they decide, hey, we don't want Otto Porter Jr. around. And I like, I swear, I just it's not because he wasn't around the team last year after his surgery. That was just the first name that came out of my mm, mouth. Right. There's nothing stopping them from waving him, and because they're, they'll still be under the tax. Like, like if they give him, if they give Doughton a full, the you know, a partially guaranteed minimum contract and, and put them on the 15th spot, they can do that if they want. Right. Will Doughton have to... How much does Doughton have to do? He's to literally do working every day, Eric. I, if it wasn't for Team Canada practice right now, he'd be at Scotia, but He'd be at Ovio right now getting shots up with Jim Sand. Yeah, like, and we don't know, and, and we don't... And obviously, like, formulating a trade, the massive sort of multiplayer trade that we think is probably coming at some point is more important than from the team perspective than Jeff Doughton getting the 15th spot. And if that means having, you know, Thad Young and 
and Otto Porter Jr. making combined $14.3 million and not really being part of the future and Jeff Doughton looking for a job elsewhere, that's what it's going to mean. But, you know, I do think there is some room for him to, I, I can't believe last April we were talking about Jeff Doughton, this August we're talking about Jeff Doughton. Oh, trust I, me. I, I like how it became this sort of, like, I feel like there should be a book. What we talk about, what we're talking about when, what we're really talking about when we talk about Jeff Doughton mm. is like the yeah. development sort of yeah, struggles yeah. of this franchise in, in the past few years. It's like, that's really what this is about. It's not about Jeff Doughton specifically, um, as you sort of made clear at the point. But I, to bring it, my, my basic point is, I think, I don't think it's impossible he makes this team, even if there are no trades. I, do I think it's likely? Probably not, but I don't think it's like, two percent either i i think there's a real chance yeah um i'd just be a little worried if i were him you know if someone hands me a zero dollar guarantee contract also what was bobby cooking with the zero dollar guarantee contract come on man like come on well why are like why is he accepting that like uh, i i I honestly don't know yeah i I agree i I agree like i I don't know what his options are and he's been working with the team literally nonstop. yeah yeah yeah. so like uh, it wouldn't surprise me yeah if we find out later that there's some sort of, there was, there's something more to this, what that is like, yeah. I can barely begin to speculate on. So I'm not going to speak to, but like, well, people are way with bated breath. All right. Cause that's, that's just, just not the, that, you know, a $0 guarantee to be a trading cup, trading camp casualty for a player who is like dominated in the G league pretty much um, is not the type of thing we usually see. I agree. Uh, and and like, if he wanted, he could have accepted a two-way contract because that was the qualifying offer. And he didn't. Mm-hmm. He he agreed to this deal instead. So right. I'm guessing there was something in it for um, what exactly that is. Mm-hmm. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah. No, it's the first time I, I remember an NBA player getting signed to a Klarna contract, essentially. Just, uh, you know, we'll, we'll pay you in installments. Um. Well, Eric, I appreciate you. Um, you know, I, are you going to get some time off in the summertime, or is it Team, yeah, is I, it team Panda now? Like, what's going on? No, I'm. I'm actually. I'm taking most of the World Cup time off. I got some family things I, I got to address during that time. All right. Um, going to going to go to camp uh, this this afternoon, I guess. Um, and I'll mm-hmm. be paying attention. But yeah, I, I've already taken. I took a week after summer league to uh, we. Uh, my wife and I went to San Diego to oh. try and try and get the exact opposite of of Vegas. Um, which uh, I, I don't know yeah. how you found your experience, but it, it's nice to. Uh, it's nice to again. I'll use the phrase "counter program" after a few days. And uh, did you fly uh, straight from Vegas. Vegas to San Diego because you're already yeah. out there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've done that. I did that on my own once, and my wife had never been to Vegas. So we stayed like two extra days and yeah. did some, you know, Vegasy things. Sure. Yeah. She's not, she's not particularly interested in it, but like, while I was there, and, yeah, you might uh, as well. yeah. we saw some scenes, there were some scenes. Uh, okay. I, saw, I saw, I saw a car on fire, like just a flame on the highway. <laughs> oh, and like no, not like a, like a gimmick, like an actual, just no, no. It, like, like a there disaster. Was a car on, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And nobody okay. like, I was thinking oh. about like what that scene would be like on the Don Valley Parkway. And how much rubbernecking there would be. Oh my goodness. Nobody seemed to be looking at this car. 
Uh, like they were driving by like it was a minor fender fender bender, which again would decimate the Don Valley Park, Parkway yeah. into a crawl. Like nobody seemed to care. And like uh, my wife looked it up on, and couldn't find anything about this. It wasn't even car, and right. then the news. I'm All like, right. Vegas, baby, let's go. I, mm. I hope everybody's okay. Um, but you know, we got it's we had a good time and yeah. you know, then then got down to the ocean and and had some awesome Mexican food and uh yeah, they'll stay closer to home for you know, end of August, beginning of September. But uh yeah, some time off, some time to mentally refresh before uh you know, breaking down the race for the 15th spot of, of the of the of the Raptors. Yeah, I know this is uh, Alex is currently on vacation right now taking. Yeah. Alex has always had like a good sense of uh, work life balance, I would say. Yeah, I appreciate that about him. Yeah, he, he has it better than anyone else in, in, in the Raptors beat, let's say. Um I think but, he calls it life work balance, not work life balance, which yeah. honestly it sounds like that it sounds healthy. Be, yeah, it sounds yeah. healthy. Yeah. <laughs> No, but I, I do know that as, you know, as he goes solo through, um, well, he's in Japan now, but he was in, he was in Korea. Korea yeah. I, I know he's listening to podcasts, so I know he took his headphone out once again towards the end of the podcast when he heard Jeff Downton content, because he has made it his life mission to be a Jeff Downton hater, which uh, I think it's really, you know, interesting. Um, but also at, at the same time, it's a matter of perspective, you know, but anyway, yeah. uh, Eric, thank you for your time. Uh, follow everything you do over at the athletic, um, you know, read this awesome piece on, on Darko, man. It's going to be the best Raptors content you'll see pretty much in weeks. Cause there's not going to be a lot of Raptors content, <laughs> but it's also like really, really good to, to I can to... tell you, I don't have a similar story in the works. <laughs> there's about, not another uh, one in the chamber. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like I, that Damn was it. my big idea for the summer. Uh, not that you need to be a genius to profile the head coach or, any, or anything, but uh, no, but it's good. But man. yeah, I don't have another like months long project on, on on my hands right now, uh, at least Raptors related. So uh, we'll. Uh, I, I am looking forward to getting back to to writing about more pressing issues with the team and, and with the league at large. But mm. uh, but yeah, there isn't a um, a uh, a Javon Freeman. Javon, what's Liberty Freeman? Freeman Free- Liberty. Liberty. Freeman Liberty. Come okay. On. Yeah. Uh, feature coming yet. Um, right. hey. Maybe that's what I start on tomorrow. We'll see. No, we need it. What we actually need is a Jeff Down feature on on the zero dollar guarantee. That's that's uh, NBA first. But uh, yeah, Eric Kareen of the Athletic. Uh, read everything you do there, and uh, yeah, enjoy some of your time off. You deserve it. And Appreciate for it. listeners, we will continue to do podcasts. Not because I don't want to take time off but just because i like podcasting all right so um that, it's that, okay that's to my like life. your job it's that's my right life to like balance. your job it's I, fine yeah you know i have this conversation with my friends all the time they're always like you know like you know yeah, we're really looking forward to taking the summers off or sort of like you know finding this work-life balance thing and i'm like yeah i hear that but also like my job is to like do some podcasts like it's uh it's fun it's just genuinely it's fun so thanks everyone for listening please continue to rate review subscribe so i can have a career and uh no pressure and um yeah we'll catch you next week with more team panda basketball uh talk